they, they're looking for the platform for growth. You know, is how do I get to do what I think I'm good at, which is, you know, seeing patients and being a really good doctor, but also I want to be something of building something that I can be really proud of. And so when you can put those two things together for them and give them the tools and the platform on which to grow, you've achieved exactly what they're hoping to do, right? Which is you found the right partner. On today's episode of Inside Reproductive Health, I talked to Mark Siegel, who is the CEO of U.S. Fertility. You probably know him from having been the CEO of Shady Grove for 25 years. We talk about practice valuation. We talk about what private equity is doing in the field. We talk about how big U.S. Fertility themselves is, what's happening with consolidation, not just in for all of the practices scattered throughout the U.S., but the ones that are at the top, what's going to happen with those six groups. Before I get into this conversation with Mark, today's shout out goes to Dr. Serena Chen. I don't know if I've given Dr. Chen a shout out before. I'm starting to lose track of my shout outs, but she's a good friend of mine. So let her know that she was shouted out because I love to get a text from Serena. Today's show with Mark is really interesting because he has this business background And I'm guessing from a time that it wasn't as common to have someone like that. I think that partly explains Shady Grove's meteoric growth from that time period. He has a, he has a CPA background. He has an MBA. He was the CEO of Shady Grove for 25 years. And then in this aftermath of Integramed formed U.S. Fertility with three other groups. And Mark talks about that, the trajectory for what is to come further with consolidation in the field. And he and I talk about brand and this big brand challenge that networks have and where I stand on the issue. So enjoy this episode of Inside Reproductive Health with Mark Siegel. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Mr. Siegel, Mark, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Hi, Griffin. Thank you. I remember one time I called you Dr. Siegel. I don't know if you remember this. It was before I, I knew you very well, but it was at a, I was giving a talk and you had asked a question and I, I pointed and said, oh, Dr. Siegel, and you laughed and I didn't know why. And, and so I, th- that introduction made me think of it. I have on Mark Siegel with me, who is the CEO of Shady Grove Fertility for many years and now of US Fertility Network. I think for some people, Mark, they probably think it, you still are at Shady Grove. Shady Grove is affiliated with U.S. Fertility. But for some people, I think this will be news to them, even though it's been the last several months or year or so that, that that's kind of transitioned. And um, as far as I, I understand from your LinkedIn profile, they are two separate things now. So can you give some background of, of your experience with Shady Grove and then how that turned into your role at U.S. Fertility? So first of all, thank that you did remind me about the uh, the doctor part. That was kind of amusing, and I I, I think it it would have made my uh, late mother proud. So that was- <laughs> good. 
Uh, you know, I, um, I'll say that, uh, and when I think of it in terms of years, and I've been close to 25 years uh, in the specialty, uh, most of that uh, being with uh, Shady Grove Fertility and the CEO of Shady Grove Fertility, so, you know, and saw that grow from, I guess it was, you know, 20 people at the time, employees at the time to almost a thousand it is, uh, it's, you know, it's remarkable what's kind of occurred over those years. And uh, certainly, I'm incredibly grateful to, to this specialty uh, for, for everything that it's given me and rewarded me. And the creation of U.S. Fertility actually, I think, came about, well, it really came about as a result of, of the bankruptcy of Integramad. But in many ways, it started uh, much sooner, earlier than that. You know, the, the four groups that represent U.S. fertility, which is, of course, Shady Grove Fertility, uh, IVF Florida, uh, RSC uh, Bay in, in San Francisco, of course, and, and then uh, uh, FCI in Chicago. You know, many of us have known each other for many, many years, been friends and well before we even became, you know, partners in U.S. fertility. And we've always spoken about the idea of doing something together. And I think it was just fortuitous that it was in some respects, in some respects that, you know, it was, it was terrible that it occurred, but, you know, when the, when, when, when the, with the collapse of Integramed, uh, it created the opportunity for us to, to come together and form U.S. fertility. So today, I think we're, we're excited about what that possibility represents and, and the future of the organization. Uh, which again, you know, rep uh, represents approximately about 10% of the, the total uh, ART volume in the United States. So it's, it's, it's a sizable group. So you're creating a new network with these four groups in the wake of Integramed as you look to grow and to expand and perhaps even with the teams that you currently have, how do you transition into this is really something new and this is a different venture versus it's the same thing that failed with a different label on it. It's a great question and something, you know, that I think uh, I get asked about a lot. First of all, I think having, you know, a front row seat with Integramed uh, for all those years gave me a good insight in terms of what I think works and what I think that didn't work. And there were clearly... A lot of things that did work. I mean, you can't uh, dismiss Integromed completely and say, you know, it was a failure. There were a lot of things that did work. But unfortunately, there were a lot of things that, that didn't and ultimately led to its de demise. The one thing I think that, you know, stands apart uh, is, is, is the fact that Integromed, and, and this was different from the early years. In the early years, there were many more physicians, there was much more physician involvement uh, and then of late, in the last, let's say, last decade, the uh, physician involvement kind of went away and it became purely about business and nothing else. And that was obviously problematic. So it also created, there was this environment of um, what I would call lack of transparency and clearly a lack of inclusiveness, you know, an us versus them culture. You know, so when I look at kind of uh, the failures of Integramad, I was quick to identify or say, if we're gonna form something new, it had, to be a, it had to be a true partnership, not a network. And you actually won't, you, you won't hear me, certainly not intentionally refer to it as a network. We see ourselves as one true partnership. 
And by that, it is, you know, it is physician-led, physician, there's, you know, so physician involvement at every level, including on the board, with, with, with significant physician representation there. And that, I think, already has changed the whole trajectory and culture of the organization. How do you keep that? And I think of, you know, like you mentioned, that over that happened with Integramed over time that it became more about business, less about physician input. I don't suspect that they set out to do that. So what are the tail signs that you look for that happened there perhaps or that could happen that you're going to make sure that you retain this physician-focused partnership over time? Well, I think it's, again, I think it's a hallmark of, of the group, uh, recognizing that we need to maintain, you know, phys- again, we talk about it being physician-led. Today, it's, it's still a majority physician-owned. Uh, those are important drivers in terms of, I think, you know, where we see the future of, of the organization. In terms of how we, how we maintain that, you know, the governance structure model is one where, uh, where physician ownership and participation is mandated. So um, we, we already set that out and right in the, you know, just from, a, just from an organizational perspective and structure that can't be changed. And I think the, the beauty about, again, having the physician input and involvement is, you know, obviously, you know, reproductive endocrinologists, incredibly smart, bright people. I, they they uh, have excelled, you know, for most part in all walks of life. And so their participation and input has, has always been, I thought, you know, the, one of the greatest values of a partnership like this. And again, not to draw comparison to Integramed, because I think to me, that's a, you know, that's a chapter that, that I'd like to close the books on at this point. But, I, you know, ignoring that component was just such a failure. You know, I, I look at it as I'm not going to agree with everything uh, that, that, you know, that the physicians may have or say about a particular issue. I think, but that I think is a, is a positive. I don't think it's a negative. You know, having the right dialogue, the right discussion around a particular issue and coming ultimately to the right conclusion based on appropriate data, I think, you know, drives really good decisions at the end of the day. One thing that I see, you won't use the term network to describe your partnership, but one thing that I see networks struggle with is that it's not immediately obvious where the network's role ends in the and the group's autonomy begins. So you have four really distinguished groups in very different parts of the country. You've formed this partnership together. Where does U.S. fertility start and end? And then where does FCI and Shady Grove and your South Florida and Bay Area partners start and end? Yeah, um, so look, again, good questions. Um, you know, each of these practices are in some respects certainly unique. They have very strong brands in their, in their respective markets. And, and I think physicians within those groups are very proud of their brands. You know, when we talk about it as a partnership, it's because we, want, we, we are vested in each other's success, right? The physicians are not only owners in their individual medical practice, but they're also owners within US Fertility, which is the management services organization at the end of the day. So we, we look at it in terms of how do we drive best practices? Each of these groups uh, have something to offer. And again, sharing of great ideas, great data, uh, that, that transparency aspect, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable, right? Because we put everything up there, whether it's 
clinical pregnancy rates and outcomes, whether it's patient satisfaction data, or whether it's maybe financial data. It's not intended to embarrass anyone, but it's intended to, to drive, you know, uh, again, good practice. What is someone doing that others can learn from? Why'd you decide to go this route? Because I imagine that the discussion may have come up of, okay, we can, we have the opportunity to partner with these great other groups and they're great and they're in established markets, but we're also great. And we're, you know, if you, if you're thinking of yourself and, and the people that you started with from Shady Grove, I just think maybe I lack imagination, but I think, okay, I'm always going to, I'm going to have this challenge where the partnership meets the groups, or I could just grow my existing group and it's, it's Shady Grove Dallas and then it's Shady Grove LA. And it, I imagine that you weighed the pros and cons of all of this for why did you end up choosing the route you did? Well, look, I won't say that, that it's not, a, that it's not a challenge to, you know, to bring four independent practices together and then create one larger platform. Uh, th- of course, that's, you know, that's part of the initial challenge in putting a group like this together. But when I look at it from a, you know, from a Shady Grove uh, fertility perspective, one, it comes back to these are physicians that I've known for many, many years, feel very comfortable with them. And in many cases, many of them are my friends, right? I've socialized with them, et cetera, and known them for many years. So one, on that level already, I'm comfortable with it. On the second level, there is the, the recognition that these are great markets that they're in. And ultimately, you know, I think uh, Shady Grove Fertility would have wanted to be in those markets. Now competing with your friends, not entirely exactly what I'm looking for. So, you know, let's do something together. To me, it was almost just a natural fit. It didn't need a whole lot of thought around it, but it was just how do we come together and recognize that we are aligned in the thinking. So what do you suppose the current market appetite is for further consolidation and acquisition? Are, are we gonna see this start to slow down or have we only seen the tip of the iceberg? Well, I'll, I'll shift from, you know, w- where US today, and obviously we rethink about us as a as a as a an important partnership that we that we plan to continue to grow and add other great practices to our platform. But let me but let me kind of shift a little bit and look at that question in terms of a more broader context, in terms of you know where is the what is the appetite for for I think your question was in terms of consolidation. Where does that kind of go? I think, I think even with the introduction of private equity, this in the, in the last five to 10 years, this is the US is still a very much a fragmented market. If you, if you think about, and, and look, there are some large groups, networks, platforms that are, that are currently out there, right? Uh, that are formed. I mean, obviously US fertility is one of them, but you know, think of like CCRM, uh, Ovation, Boston IVF, EBRMA, you know, and Prelude, you know, these groups are, are becoming larger uh, and, 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 and are gaining more relevance. And I would say that the, the, the separation between that, those type of groups, those consolidators, and, and the other medical practices that either wish to be not affiliated or remain independent I think that uh, separation has continued, that's continued to accelerate. The one thing that I, I, that I always find an amazing statistic when I kind of think about some of this, in, once again, kind of in response to your question, you know, think about it this way. This is a very, very small specialty as we all know, right? Certainly compared to other specialties. 
And so there's roughly, let's call it 450 or so practices plus in, in the United States today. Groups are, are you including those in health systems and universities? I am, yes. Okay. okay. If, so, you know, in terms of just SART, you know, look at the SART groups. Yeah. So out of that, uh, out of that group, out of the 450, uh, about 16 of those groups represent somewhere around 75 to 80,000 IVF cycles out of this, in this ballpark, out of 300,000. So 16 groups represent 25% of the IVF volume done in the United States today. That's, with, that's the consolidation that's occurring. But if 16, think about all the others, all the other small programs, you know, the, the two, three, even three physician type practices that exist out there. Uh, and, and that's where I, I see still a significant amount of consolidation occurring or the opportunity for consolidation. Now, not everyone's gonna to wanna to join a, a larger group or be part of a larger group, that's, that's clear. But, but there is still, you know, it is still a very fragmented market, even though people think about it as, well, private equity has been in, in this space now for years. Okay, so here's the skinny. Just as your fertility group has advantages over other groups, your competitors also possess advantages over your IVF center that you don't have access to yet. Now you can say their consolidation model won't work or their lab sucks or their doctor's crazy or that low cost model cuts quality or who would ever get their fertility testing done from a food truck, but many of them are onto something. If you're not maximizing your own natural strengths and adapting to what the new patient demographic is demanding, then they start to do more cycles where you are get better rates from an insurance and vendors, take your patients and even your staff. We work to maximize those competitive advantages because Fertility Bridge is the only creative and business development firm that exclusively subspecializes in the fertility field. We have an entire team of people who help fertility centers attract and retain the right patients and nothing else for a living. So we can help only your competitors and then they have an even bigger advantage or we can help you too. Our initial consulting engagement is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's only $5.97 and we equip your partners and leadership with the foundation to leverage your competitive strengths, not mimicking someone else and not let your competitors have an unfair advantage. There's no long-term commitment whatsoever and there's a 100% money back guarantee. Send your manager to fertilitybridge.com, have them sign up for the goal in competitive diagnostic and I will see you and your partners on Zoom. So you've laid out there's a whole landscape of of folks that may may be ripe for consolidation in that end, but in in our 16 groups that that do approximately 70,000 cycles, they there might be you know five groups that own many of those. Do we think of those five that are we going to see more like? SAB Miller Coors, right? So we used to have Anheuser-Busch and we had Miller and we had Coors, but then Anheuser-Busch merges with InBev, Coors merges with Miller, they they merge with South African Brewing. And so do we think that there's going to be more of these, uh, do we think these five groups or five or six, let's say, are going to go down to two or three in the next couple of years? 
So first of all, all the drink, all the discussion regarding uh, alcohol has already made me feel like I need a cocktail right now. But uh, but set that aside. Look, I, I, it's it's hard to tell exactly where this will go. Um, it is it is it, uh, of course very possible that you'll see some of these larger groups. If this is your question, can, you know, merge within themselves or, or create even larger groups. You know, if you think about it, from, you know, if you think about it from the perspective of, of, of acquiring or merging in groups, and obviously this is what what I do, right? The amount of time and effort it takes to acquire, merge in a two physician practice is probably the same amount of time it would take for you to acquire, merge in a ten or twelve physician practice. So at the end of the day, groups like myself and others are going to look and say. Uh, there's a scale opportunity, yes, that exists by, by going off to the fragmented uh, smaller groups, um, but there's also a bigger play by trying to figure out how to merge with some of the others. Now, again, uh, each of these models are very different, and that's more, that's more difficult you know, in, in, in terms of actual practicalities of how that would work, but it's possible, certainly. I have my own strong perspective on at least one or two of the factors that driving that that are driving this, but certainly not all of them. What's driving all of this, from your estimation? I, I, w- I would say that physicians, like every other every other group, <laughs> humanity is is you know is prone to kind of the FOMO uh, syndrome, right? This this fear of missing out or being or being left out. Uh, I think there's a, I think there's a, there's an element of that. Let's just say, you know, recognizing, I, you know, I there's something bigger than myself here, and I want to be part of it. That's that's I would say on just on the surface, but but I think largely it's driven by, and I would and I would probably bucket it into you know kind of three categories. The one is the need for liquidity, and and think about it in terms of you know, senior physicians or founding physicians that are looking to retire or exit, they've spent their entire professional careers building really great businesses and practices. And now they want to exit and how do they extract some value for that? Uh, and the options that most of these, these physician practices have is to either sell to an existing partner, which they may or may not have, or to uh, bring on a a new physician with the hope that they'll eventually buy their practice. But, that, but those options have become very limited, certainly in terms of liquidity. Um, so, so, so that's the first piece. The second piece is I think there is, a, there is this need uh, for capital, right? And it's capital for, for purposes of growth and development and expansion. So, so those are, that's, that's the other category. And then the third is, I'd say it's the it's the non-capital need. It's the it's the it's the access to resources uh, in the form of maybe an you know IT platforms, uh, uh, other resources, talent uh, talent management or acquisition that that lead, that are helping drive innovation and things like that. So depending on where a particular group is uh, or physician uh, physician founder maybe they may be looking at those type of opportunities. And so when I speak to to many uh, physicians uh, about these type of needs, uh, those are typically what I what I encounter. It seems to me that the the second driver that you brought up of the need for capital for growth may influence the first driver for other groups 
of FOMO. And I know that I've become a broken record. I first wrote about this three years ago. I say it almost every other podcast, but I believe part of what's driving this is that the current fertility center model for most groups is not an entrepreneurial venture. It is inherited from the general practitioner model of the mid 20th century or perhaps earlier. And now you have groups that are growth oriented and are seeking capital to further their growth that are merging with other groups from across the country. And so then you have the remainder of those, the the people having to decide, do I want to compete with this? Uh, One, do I want to compete with it? Two, uh, that's probably different from the FOMO, which is what can I, can I get some of this? And uh, I think that when people are put in that position, most people seem to be of the side of, I would rather, I would rather join them than try to compete against them. I, that could be a combination of the third driver that you said, which is the non-capital needs. It's, it's like, I, I'm not going to be able to compete with them. So I need this support as well. And I also don't want to miss out on this while it's happening. Is that a fair? Yeah, I, I think it is. I would say that there's, that there's at least the physicians that, uh, that I gravitate towards or find uh, an affiliation with is are typically those physicians that are more entrepreneurial in, 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 in nature. They are interested in building something bigger again than themselves. They, they're looking for the platform for growth. You know, it's how do I get to do what I think I'm good at, which is, you know, seeing patients and being a really good doctor, but also I want to be something of building something that I can be really proud of. And so when you can put those two things together for them and give them the tools and the platform on which to grow, you've achieved exactly what they're hoping to do, right? Which is you found the right partner. And it takes time because not everyone is in that mindset. I think you're exactly right. You know? Is it the tools or is it doing the growth for them? Because I think of there are some firms like mine, maybe groups like other, other consultants or there, there are a few other. There are different solutions for being able to grow and maintaining equity. But if I sell equity, then someone else is also responsible for that growth. So is it is it helping them grow in many cases or is it, hey, I'll do my part and you keep the machine moving. I, th- I think, it is, again, I think it's a partnership. I think you got to be able to do both. I, I, the way I like to uh, speak about it, especially when I'm talking to maybe a new, a new physician coming out of fellowship is I would say to them, you know, we provide you with the tools, we, we, both based on experience in terms of what has worked, what hasn't. So these have been, you know, pressure tested and, and we provide you with the tools in which to help you succeed. But if we just provide you the tools and you're expecting us to do, us being whoever it is, the management team or the existing uh, practice dual work, that doesn't work. You gotta be, you gotta bring something to the table and drive, and drive that innovation too. You've gotta be vested in the success. If, you know, the worst thing for me is the, the physician that takes the, the attitude of what have you done for me lately kind of thing. You know, we're in this in partnership together. I want what's best for you and hopefully you want what's best for me. And we work together to, to drive, you know, to drive a great outcome. 
how is all of this impacting practice valuation? So I, I think, um, I, I, well, let me say, I, I, over the, if I look at it over, over a 25 year period, and again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to age or date myself here, but uh, I would say that, it, and, in, and again, in, in 25 years I've been involved in both healthcare and then also infertility, uh, the valuations for practices in general, I think have, have increased significantly. And this, I would say, is being driven uh, in part by, of course, the participation of private equity, but also today, uh, you know, valuations have become quite frothy or, you know, uh, and, and, and that's largely, I think, driven a bit by uh, the low cost of capital or, or, or low, you know, low interest rate environment we find ourselves in. So, yes, valuations have, have increased. But, but I will say, you know, that valuation between practices really differs significantly, right? Uh, a, a larger practice or platform is typically going to have a higher valuation multiple than, than a small practice. That's just the reality. And it comes back to this, this idea again of what helps move you know what? What, what helps move the the income needle? How creative does a particular acquisition or bolt-on attack can become relative to to larger platform? And uh, I know I am going to pay more for a larger group than I'm going to pay for a smaller group in terms of valuation multiple. Uh, the same thing applies at the private equity level when they are looking at uh, acquisition of of particular platforms the size does influence the influence valuation. I'd also say that there's a difference between size and platform, right? And so that's not always fully understood. Just because you're large, you're a large medical practice or fertility group, doesn't mean you're a platform. By platform, I mean, you have all the services, all the services needed, right? All the resources needed to scale. Because at the end of the day, this has to be, if you're talking about a platform play, you're talking about the ability to scale. Going, you know, whether you're going from, you know, 90 physicians that we have today within US fertility to 300 physicians, okay? Uh, your ability to do that has to be relatively uh, straightforward and easy to be able to do that, right? And otherwise, it's not a platform at the end of the day. So how should practices be calculating for this? Because I think most, probably people are mostly thinking about EBITDA. How should they be calculating how their platforms, prospects for scalability come into play versus just this is where we're at with EBITDA? How should practices be evaluating? Yeah, so you know, Griffin, like, you know, you, you're a you're a business guy, so you're so you're speaking my language already when you speak about EBITDA, right? But most physicians don't think about EBITDA. In fact, very few I think they are now, Mark. I don't know if they were <laughs> ten years ago, but I bet you every single one of them knows what EBITDA is now. They know what EBITDA is now, right? It's good, but 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 most of them think about it in terms of valuation multiples. What's the multiple, right? And and you and I would both know that really a multiple is just more of a function of uh, of, of the EBITDA at the end of the day, right? Uh, of the enterprise, of its enterprise value. And, 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 and therefore, you know, what are, what are you paying as a multiple of that enterprise value? So in terms of, you know, 
how they are how are they thinking about this uh the larger the group i think some of them are looking at us and recognizing if they've done some homework on this or explored this they, they they're recognizing that being together with a larger with a larger group right uh that they're going to get more they will they will value their business they will value their their enterprise at a higher value higher valuation multiple than they would if they were just by themselves the ability to, to extract value at the end of the day and and get and look at the end of the day what is the value why are they get extracting value it's it's a reward for the effort that they've put in over years that's what they're getting paid for you've built an amazing business you've built an amazing practice great reputation you should be rewarded for that but the recognition here what's occurring now because i think i think these physicians are becoming more sophisticated in their thinking to your point they now understand what ebitda is from most part uh, right is they're now starting to recognize that a consolidated ebitda will improve my overall valuation at the end of the day you know over what i can do by myself and that's where again there is an alignment between kind of private equity and the way in which physicians are thinking about valuation what about what multiples should practices be expecting to see based on different different ranges of ebitda you know that's a question i get asked a lot and it's just not a question i'm able to, I'm, i'm even comfortable asking uh, answering i think the the reality again is it's it's a it's a function of the valuation that you know the multiple is a function of that ebitda number and to what extent that that ebitda number is growing right and so when you look at growth uh if you grow if your practice that has reached the mature state you're you're basically either flat so you haven't grown maybe you you know the, the valuation multiple is going to be significantly smaller than it would be on a comp, on on a practice that may be growing at a significant clip per year because they've demonstrated their ability to gain scale and grow or provide value to patients that are that that their competitors are not in that situation yeah valuations are going to you know are going to be possibly in in the in the double digits but the vast majority based on the size again are going to be you know somewhere in in, in the single digit range maybe on the highest single digits but it's going to be in the single digit range it's such a difficult question to answer because without you know without actually fully appreciating the individual practice and what it is Well then maybe we can give some other advice for individual practices which is let's use this example I'm Dr. Jones I am one of two partners in a five doctor group I'm the second partner in there used to be two one retired I bought him out and so now it's myself and my other partner we have three associate docs with us we're a five doctor group I'm not ready and neither is my partner to necessarily have this conversation tomorrow but we know we're probably headed in this direction in the next 2 years let's say what can we do in the next year or two to improve our multiple i, I wish everyone i wish everyone would ask me that question that would be great but <laughs> um i i think uh the, the these conversations i think and this is to your point I, 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 they take time uh it's what i call uh, what i like to refer to as kind of the dating cycle so it takes time to date uh and in some cases look uh, groups know exactly what they want they feel very comfortable relationships they feel very comfortable with the uh with the offering and they want to do this quickly and it happens really quickly in some cases it takes longer now to come to your question about what can i do well again demonstrate that you are able to grow 
at a rate beyond what the, what the rest of the market is doing. And, and if you're doing that, if you're demonstrating that, not just on a once-off, but on a consistent basis, then, then, then valuation multiples become much more important for you and, and become justified. Because that's what it is. It's, 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 it's discounting that future cash flow that we anticipate, right? And, and, and to the extent that that it represents is growing at a, at a double-digit growth rate, there's an expectation there that they would get uh, you know, a much higher valuation multiple. So it is about growth, but, but not everyone is about growth. You know, look, for, for many, many of these groups, right? We're talking about the game, the universe of 450 plus, for many of them, this is, a, this is a lifestyle business, right? And what I mean by lifestyle business, it pays the bills. It generates an income for me and it pays the bills. And many doctors are very comfortable with that. And, and exiting and saying, you know, look, I put money in, maybe I'll get a little bit of money out. But at the end of the day, what it did was it created an income stream for me. And that's it. Well, I think that's where the two different competing tendencies come into play is I, and maybe that's my MO and you know, I've, I've already put in the work. I'm just ready to cash out now. Why invest further more into growth? And then I think other people are leaving massive amounts of money on the table because they're not investing in growth in that last year or two. Often when I find people in this position, I'm having a conversation with them and they're like, yeah, I'm probably going to sell in a year or two. And I'm thinking, let's, let's grow, at, if not in terms of new patients, at least let's improve your conversion rate because you're already, let's say you're getting 500 patients in the door a year, but you're only converting maybe 200 of them. That, that can definitely be improved. And that's in real estate, you'd call that the cap rate, I think, but you're just improving, you're improving EBITDA by virtue of, of being more profitable. And so I think that's one thing that I see sometimes is uh, sometimes people are just like, you know what? It's already, I'm already going to get a ton of money and, uh, and why, and why, why bother at this point? And then I think, but yeah, but if you can invest, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars, for example, to make hundreds of thousands or millions, this is the time to do it. Yeah, I, I think it, you know, I, I, again, it, it very much depends on an individual. It, de- it depends on the appetite for risk um, and where they are in their, in their careers. So uh, I, I give you the two extremes. The one extreme is, is, a, is a graduating fellow, very entrepreneurial, would like, to, would like to start his or her own practice, maybe together with uh, someone that they've met from in fellowship. You know, they are, they are burdened by often student debt, student loans, those type of situations. And now I've got to build out a practice whereby they've got to take out personal loans, guarantees, various other things to build out what is often, a, it's a very expensive endeavor to build out a surgery center, laboratory, embryology lab. I mean, these things, this is not uh, inexpensive. So that's the one extreme, right? And it's whether or not I can... Do I want to, can, can I take that risk at this age, having just come out of, you know, just essentially graduated or f- finished fellowship? And the other extreme is you've got someone that's near the tail end of their career and looking and going, well, I've been in this, uh, you know, I've been in this lab, this space for the last 20 plus years. It's really outdated. It's, it's no longer meeting quite the need, but to upgrade it or to, to increase it's so that it can accommodate uh, future growth and the size of, you know, of the number of cycles that we would need to do over the next 10 years. 
well, that's going to cost me, you know, three, five million dollars in order to build out the facility I need. And I don't want to go and borrow three, five million dollars from a bank and take on debt at this stage in my career. So those are the two bookends of that, right? Uh, and, and again, it comes back to need for capital and where people fit in wanting to, and, and, and this is where I think groups like myself, private equity uh, are able to add value and, and participate because we provide, we're there to, prove, there to kind of help meet a need that these, that these individuals have. In that second scenario described, I definitely wouldn't take on debt if my my intention was selling in a year or two, especially if it was a lot and depending on how someone was leveraged at that point. But in terms of current cash flow and and using some of what now might be gross profit or even net profit to invest in the business can often be worth it, especially if it's something that in and of itself is going to return within the next three to six months. If you do if you do an IVF conversion program, for example, depending on when you start, but it's not going to take you longer than six months. And so three to six months to install that, maybe your profit goes down for a little bit while you make that investment, but it immediately gets returned. And then you're also getting the value of the, the growth that you've put on the practice. So that, that's what, to me, that level of investment makes more sense at that stage than taking on debt. Yeah, I, I think it comes back to your, you know, and I think you worded it and said it correctly early on, which is, you know, what is it that I need to do to kind of grow my, my practice in order so I can maximize the valuation or potentially exit, that type of thing. And I would say this is actually all businesses in general, this is not specific to physicians or even healthcare. But, you know, when you've got, uh, when you've got a founder and entrepreneur that has started a business and maybe a family owned business, if, if they are, if they start or have started having the conversation, you know, if they, if they're thinking about, I want to sell my business in a year's time or even two years time, it's probably too late to, to start thinking what I need to do to maximize value the conversation or the thought process about maximizing value has to occur much earlier on because it's part of a strategy. It's part of a mindset, you know, uh, of this is what I'm after. This is where I think I can build it. This is what I, and really to maximize value, it's a five-year process. Now, again, here's the calculus. Do I, do I spend uh, do I spend the next five years building, hopefully, you know, doubling the size, tripling the size of the business that I have today? And will valuations remain where they are today, right? That's the big question. Because no one knows what tomorrow brings. No one knows what, what valuation, what interest rates and valuation and what, how much private equity will, will want to participate five years from now. And so I think the calculus you have to make in all of this is, I'm either in it for the long term. If I'm only focused on, I want to figure out what to exit and how to maximize value so I can exit at some point, I actually think it's the wrong conversation to be having with yourself, right? If I'm that entrepreneur. I think you've got to be driven by what are you trying, what problem are you trying to solve? What, what motivates you? What gets you to get up out of bed every morning and want to do the kind of the things that you do? And you've got to love it. You've got to have a passion for it. I mean, I know that, I wouldn't have been doing this for 25 years if I didn't feel excited and passionate about it. You know, I think the same thing applies here. 
whether you're whether you're a fertility doctor, whether you're running, you know, a, a, a retail shop or something, whatever it might be. I think you've got to be, you've got to have that passion. You're going to want to build something here more than just I'm looking to figure out how I exit, because then it's really just an investment. It's not really, you know, building a something that is meaningful to you. I think some of, some of those investments can be returned more quickly, but you're, I, I, I see your point. And now I'm thinking of something like brand. There are some groups where it's like, that's a brand. And you might have a group that does the exact same amount of volume, has the same EBITDA, has the same number of docs, number of labs, number, and, and, and maybe they're an established group. And then you have another one that it's like, that's clearly a brand. Does brand help with multiple and if so how i would say uh, look uh, i would say that certain brands clearly are, are dominate right if they are a consumer brand if it is a patient brand it is well recognized those not only drive the kind of conversions you're talking about the the pipeline of patients etc i think uh, and ultimately lead to you know the, the kind of valuation issues that are important in this in this context, but but yeah, I, you know, I, look, I'll tell you, you know, as as U.S. fertility, right? It's a new brand, just you know, only a few months old now. It is supported by four individual groups that have tremendous brand equity. Now, I'll ask you the question, if I can turn around a little bit in terms of the interviewer here, asking the interviewee, uh, is. Uh, you know, when I think about that in terms of a brand idea, I've got four different brands and five with, with U.S. fertility, right? Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, there may be others that come into that, into that mix. How do you reconcile the fact that a group may exist within a particular market and have, and have huge brand loyalty and recognition versus saying, let's consolidate all that brand equity under one name that doesn't yet exist? I get that that brand you know changing a brand is is something that is done by people you know by organizations often uh you know changing the name and brand is something that happens often but it, it is it, it is certainly a challenge from where i where i look at it right in terms of it's a huge that. challenge yeah that's why i asked the question about the about why go that road as opposed to you know the, the shady grow of just like expand shady grove for instance you you mentioned well because we have these we, we're friends with these folks we uh we we went in on this together that makes sense we're, and we're both giving each other a little bit of free consulting here my view on this on this brand issue for networks because i know you're not the only one thinking about it is how long do you want to play this game for so meaning that you're always just going to continue to have this challenge. You do have a challenge right now of we've got really established brands. And do we threaten that by becoming uniform? Do you want to do it now or later? And I think that there just is a fundamental, you, you will never get the scale of brand that we see in other segments without having a unified brand. In other words, I'm 100% in agreement with you. 100% in agreement with you on that. But but of course, it's it's a balance, right? That's got to get maintained. And so, look, you know, the inside joke here within within Shady Grove Fertility is, you know, that's probably got to be the worst name possible. But yet, you know, it's grown into the largest brand. It works somehow, right? So so yes, what's in a name? I don't know, but it, it but something. What does and- Nike mean though? 
what does Google mean? Nothing. It's right. it, brands are established. Yes. Yes. Look, I, 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 I would agree a hundred percent with you. I mean, the ultimately, you know, I think you need to figure out how to consolidate a brand so you get so you can maximize the the efficiency and and resource. It's not Chicago coffee brought to you by Starbucks. It's not it's it's not Kansas City coffee brought to you by Starbucks or Joe's coffee brought to you by Starbucks. It's Starbucks, and I I, I think that just that's ultimately. I think that that's a big inhibitor to scale. I see why people don't want to do it, but in my estimation, I think that's what ultimately wins. And some I, groups I, are better positioned. Yeah, no, no. I, I, um, I think you, you're preaching to the choir on this one. I think I'm, uh, uh, I'm an absolute believer that that there needs to be at some point, you know, a consolidated brand, certainly within maybe a U.S. facility. Uh, context again but but you know out of out of the orders of priority that's probably not at the top of the list uh, in terms of driving you know where the focus is today but something that uh, clearly we need to we, we need to you and I need to have a conversation about uh, you know let's say offline I, I think that sounds good I want to ask you about what this means for younger docs Mark because I think you know and I'm a person that I, I do not put myself on the top of the entrepreneur scale. I'm somewhere above on the the right curve of the bell curve, but I'm slow. You know, I'm I'm figuring out all this. But I'll tell you what: after having put a lot of sweat equity that was uncomfortable, I really like owning this thing outright. I like every part of it. I like what I'm making. I like what it it gives me in control. I like how it allows me to structure things. And a lot of people had that opportunity because they started their groups either in the mid nineties to the mid two thousands. Now they're cashing out. But what about these stocks coming out now that they're, I mean, is it going to be 20 years before they can buy into groups like yours? What does this mean for younger docs? Yeah. So, so I think, you know, each of these, each of these groups, as you put it, I, I think are different, right? They they are certainly different in the, the 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 management philosophy. I think they're different in physician alignment, how they work with doctors, all of that. Each one of them, I think, are different. What um, I, I think again has has led to, I'd say, the success of Shadow Fertility, and I think the success of, of of the other three groups that are part of US Fertility is that it is a physician ownership model, right? Uh, I, when I speak to uh, graduating fellows and, they, and, they, and they, you know, they're going through the interview circuit uh, and I'm talking to them uh, about a potential opportunity, the first thing I say to them is, well, well, at least during the first interview is, you know, the conversation I'm having with you right now, I'm already considering whether or not you are my next partner. And they take a step back. They quite, can't quite understand exactly what that means. But what I'm getting at here is when, when I'm thinking about interviewing you, I'm thinking about you as a future partner, not as a future physician or employed physician, but as a future partner in the group. What if and they're not cut out to be a partner? That's why I think there's some that uh, for some that uh, it, it's not the right fit, Right. The, the type of physicians that I'm drawn to or hopefully drawn to, to me and to my ones are those that want to be partners. They are like you. They want to build something. They want to have vested ownership. 
They want to feel excited about that. And the boss, and there are a number that will just say, look, it's not, you know, I'm only, all I'm interested in right now is just a job. I'm interested in the paycheck. I'm interested in going home when, when I'm dancing patients. That's all they want. And for, and for many, there are plenty groups. That's the right uh, fit for them. It's just not the right fit for our group, right? Because that's not who I'm looking for. That's not who I think we want to have be part of. We're looking for real leaders that want to have vested ownership, vested uh, you know, interest in kind of something great. It's, it's a very interesting, and I don't know if, you've, if I've ever discussed this with you before, but it's a very interesting dynamic that exists right now, especially with related to graduating fellows. And, and the way I think about it, there's somewhere around, let's call it 40 to 45 grad, you know, graduating fellows each year. And this is throughout the entire United States, right? Yep. And maybe, maybe another 10 in Canada, if that. Just let's take the US, for example. And out of that, let's say, let's call it 45, out of that, somewhere around 15 or so will we'll decide to stay within academic medicine. They won't want to go outside of academic. And that's fine, right? But that leaves you with, let's call it 30, of which 10 are probably in the category we just spoke about, which are, you know, I'm, I'm nine to five. I'm really not interested in doing anything beyond a, beyond a paycheck. I'm a good, I'm a good doctor, but that's not what I, I'm, I'm, that's not what I'm, so for me, that's, that eliminates to say 10. And now I'm left with, uh, you know, let's say 20 at most, at most through the United States, uh, of which there are probably 40 to 50 practices looking to recruit doctors in any one year. That disparity that exists between what, you know, the supply and demand of new, of new graduating fellows is so, is so vast. It's, it's creating, I think, a problem for our specialty, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it's great if you're coming out of fellowship. Yeah, you know, you're being courted and wined and dined and by, by many groups and you get to pick, you know, what you'd like and what you don't like. But it's very problematic in terms of being able to uh, find the right balance because, again, if you're, a, if you're a two physician practice, maybe you're a single doctor trying to find a problem, the ability for you to find a, to find a, to to potentially hire someone out of fellowship is almost impossible, almost impossible. I tell people that all the darn time. I, I had somebody reaching out, and they're that they're in a small market single physician group wanted to to ask me about this, and I said, okay, well, this is what we could do, and oh, we'll we'll think about it. And I said, you take all the darn time you want. <laughs> You're not in a good position. Do, you might be able to find someone by struck of luck. If you do, they will have all of the leverage because you're not getting somebody else in that market in at, for that size group in the next few years. So even if you have somebody, I, I think it's it's causing people to to really stretch. I think this is also one of the drivers for why we're seeing consolidation too. There's lots of people in these groups in these size markets. They just can't get a younger doc to take over. That's exactly, that's exactly right. It's exactly right what's happening. And, uh, you know, I think, again, U.S. fertility, we will hire, within the next 18 months, we'll hire uh, somewhere around 10 to 14 uh, of, the, of the graduating fellows over the next 18 months. Yeah. 10 to 14. Yeah. That list that I said was down to a population size of 20. 
Think about that for a second. Yeah. I mean, that's how crazy this market has become, right? You've got, th- th- I would say that there's, uh, if there's uh, 150 fellows at a time, there I, I, at least a third of them listen to the show. And so you've got 30% of those folks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, Mark, you've given us a lot of really great insights about what's happening with consolidation and acquisition. How do you want to conclude about the impact that private equity is having on physicians and patients in the, in the field now and in the future? Yeah. Look, I, I'd say private equity, there's no question, private equity is here to stay, right? It's, it's not going anywhere. And there will always be this need for capital and liquidity. Um, and also, I also believe, you know, that, the, that these innovative physicians want to be something, part of something larger than, than themselves, right? Um, and so finding the right fit here is, is of course, paramount. I, I would say that I've seen in my career, again, uh, private equity make very poor decisions and very poor business decisions and in some cases you know destroy practices and 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 the culture that they may have created uh but i've also been very fortunate to be part of a group be part of groups that i think have driven real value and innovation that's benefited both just both physicians and patients uh i believe you know the 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 group that we are affiliated today called Amnet Capital uh, is exactly that. I've been very, very impressed. And as I said, I've been uh, involved with, with many different private equity groups over the years. I think there's this misconception about uh, that private equity, you know, what it does is drive down, drive costs and it's, uh, and therefore that Im- impacts quality of medicine. I think that's a, that's actually a false, narrative. I think it's a false assumption. You think it's false that it drives them up or because they're seeking well, profits think, or, or drives them down for efficiency? Which one of those do you think is a fallacy? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a false narrative that, that driving down costs, driving down costs drives down quality uh, of medicine, uh, where I think private equity and, and again, maybe larger groups succeed is, is in the ability to drive to drive costs in an efficient through efficiency, and to me, driving down costs, which hopefully at the end of the day implies driving down price to patients, or driving or driving access through uh, increased payer contracts, etc., leads to better access to patients. Um, and in fact, if you look at the larger groups, you look at you look at the you know pregnancy rate outcomes, it completely validates the point that the larger groups are driving driving innovation, driving pregnancy rates, doing different things that I think others are taking note of and trying to learn from. At the end of the day, yes, you should do your homework and you should pick your right partner because not everyone's the same. Not every private equity is the same. But I, I, you know, I am a believer they're here to stay. I'm a, believe, I'm a firm believer that they, will, that they will continue to add value and make change in a positive way, not a negative way. Mark Siegel of U.S. Fertility, thank you very much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you, Griffin. Nice to be here. I'm glad to be part of uh, your 100th uh, episode. Episode 100. Glad you could be part of the mile marker. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. 
If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.